Welcome back to the Deep End Podcast. I'm your host, Samantha, and today I have a very special guest, Cam Fraser. So Cam is a certified professional sex coach, certified sexologist, registered counsellor, and registered tantric yoga teacher. His work integrates scientifically validated, medically accurate information about sexual health with sacred sexuality teachings from the mystery traditions. As a coach, he helps men go beyond surface-level sex and into full-bodied, self-expressed, pleasure-orientated sexual experiences free of anxiety or shame. Thank you so much for being here, Cam. I really appreciate it. No, no worries. Thanks for inviting me on. I'm really excited to have a chat. Yeah, I'm really passionate about this conversation. Um, and I feel like a lot of men and women will, will or any people... <laughs> People will benefit from hearing what you have to share. So tell me a bit about your story. What made you become all these amazing things? Uh, well, I will try and keep this as concise as possible. But my um, my kind of story, I suppose, begins with um, traveling to America. So I went to the States when I was 17 on a soccer scholarship. I used to play soccer competitively. And so I went to university over there. Uh, and so as an Australian going to America, for people that are you know, listening and have, uh, that are Australians and have been to America, I don't know why, but Americans love Australians. And so um, I was like, I had long hair at the time and you know, I was very much, a, you know, I, was, I drank quite a lot. So I was very much like, like Aussie larrikin kind of personality, hammed it up as well. Like I really put it on because I, that's what was attractive to young American women um, at the time. So I... Uh, so I went there with like this mentality of um, like, I'm going to create this persona or this personality and, and start anew. And, and you know, I'd, I'd had like some uh, some high school experiences of being uh, bullied for being gay. And, you know, I was teased for being like into art and quite effeminate. And so like I at the time I was like, this is going to be an opportunity for me to become like a bit of a ladies man and to like really... Um, you know, I kind of got into like pickup artistry a little bit as well and very much like that kind of 17 year old approach to what I what it means to be a man right is like quantity of equality in terms of you know sexual experiences and things like that that this sounds so horrible but like the 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 quote that comes to mind or like the the idiom that comes to mind is every hole is a goal that was like definitely my 17 year old mentality going to America and so you know I, I I was part of this like soccer team. So I was very much part of the locker room masculinity culture talking about, you know, sex and women in very uh, negative, stereotypical, probably bordering on misogynistic ways and just perpetuating that really like, you know, I was bullied for being, you know, perceived to be gay. And so I bullied other young men who were effeminate or who were not quote unquote masculine enough, whatever that means. And, you know, I, I, really had a lot of internal conflict, but I was, I was, I was very fearful. I was scared. I was a scared boy. I was scared of being ostracized. I was scared of like not having a friend group. I was scared of not fitting in. Uh, and so to compensate for that fear that I had, I like projected and performed this version of masculinity that all the other young dudes around me were doing. Um, so I really fell into that without critically kind of questioning it, I suppose, really followed those kind of norms. And the, the thing that shifted all of that for me was I seriously injured my back. So I actually fractured my lower spine. And so part of my rehabilitation for that was um, I was introduced to yoga and Pilates and you know through that other modalities like breath work and meditation and massage and really all of these, you know, beautiful healing modalities that work at the level of the body, right? There are somatic um, practices. And so I remember going to yoga class or going to Pilates class and halfway through the class, like bursting out into tears or, you know, trying to hold this posture. And because my back was so sore, I couldn't hold it. And so just getting like really frustrated, but then that frustration boiling into rage and this like, you know, disproportionate amount of anger, uh, stuff that I'd suppressed. And I, I, you know, at the age of, this is at the age of like 18. And so I, I kind of had this mindset of like, Again, I don't want to give this impression that I became enlightened straight away or anything like that. It was very much like a fuck. I can't let my mates know that I'm crying in yoga class. They're going to think I'm a, I'm a, you know, whatever. 
And so I was like, I need to go see a counselor about this. I need to fix this problem that I have, you know, expressing my emotion. Um, I need to fix that so that I can fit back in with the, the you know, young men uh, in my life. Um, and so the counselor put me onto a psychologist and the psychologist did narrative therapy with me. So narrative therapy for people that are unfamiliar is just like unpacking the scripts that you tell yourself about how you're supposed to show up in the world. So what does it mean to be a man? What does it mean to be a sexual being? Uh, what does masculinity mean to me? Like, what does it mean to be a sexual man? Like all these intersections of masculinity and sexuality. Um, and so I really picked apart all those stories that I was telling myself and going like, where did those come from? You know, what, what, who were they serving? Like, did they feel actually authentic to me? Um, and so a lot of that inner conflict that I had was unpacked during that time doing narrative therapy over the course of about four years with a, with a therapist and, um, in the most compassionate way possible, really what that, you know, what that did for me was I stopped giving a fuck. I stopped giving a fuck about what my quote unquote mates thought about me with regards to like the way that I showed up as a man. Um, you know, I stopped, uh, giving a fuck what people thought about me in general, um, in terms of like being myself and being authentic and being genuine to like what I, you know, standing up for what I believe in and things like that. And so really started to shift my approach to not only like the world around me, but particularly to sex and sexuality. So I went from like very performance oriented in terms of like, you know, having lots of sex with lots of people lasting as long as I you know could, um, you know, ejaculating, getting an erection, very like porn oriented sex is like, you know, the porn style sex is like the epitome of that performance oriented sex to, you know, going, well, this actually is not enjoyable and it's causing me a lot of anxiety and it's perpetuating a lot of the shit that I've, you know, um, tried to unpack. And so not only did like the yoga and Pilates and body-based work help me like tap into my body and go, fuck, this actually doesn't feel good. Um, what actually feels good? What do I enjoy? What feels pleasurable? Uh, and I learned how to breathe and slow down and tap into those sensations. Uh, but also, you know, the approach to sex was like shifting to, okay, well, what does my partner enjoy? You know, what if I ask them, what turns them on? What are their boundaries? Having that curiosity and, and kind of using the tools of narrative therapy that I kind of employed on myself of like unpacking what my scripts were around sexuality and kind of extending that to my partner and being like, hey, we don't have to have penetrative sex. Like that's not, who cares if we do or we don't? Like, let's talk about other ways of experiencing pleasure. Like what else turns you on? Like what else are you into? And so having this, perspective shift from like performance oriented to pleasure oriented was really transformative for me at the age of like 18, 19. Um, and it wasn't like overnight, it was definitely over a couple of years. Um, but that really uh, influenced like what I wanted to do with my life. So I was um, studying engineering at the time and I was like, this is just going to set me up for life. I'm going to get a good job. I'm going to make money and I'm just going to be all, you know, hunky dory. Uh, and then I you know, realized fuck, I actually don't want to do this. And that's not what feels good for me. Right. I, I kind of applied this approach to other areas of my life. And so, you know, I was really interested in psychology. I was really interested in you know, human behavior and particularly sexuality because it was you know, part of my life and it still is part of my life. Uh, so I suppose long story short, that was like the catalyst for me going, all right, I'm going to dive deep into sexuality and psychology. Um, I want to ex study that from a bunch of different perspectives that included not only like that Western academic side of things with a degree in psychology, counseling and sexology, but also from like an experiential point of view, like I was really interested in, in Tantra, especially like neo-tantric practices, sacred sexuality communities, neo-pagan festivals, um, you know, sexological body work, all these other really beautiful modalities and quickly realize that these two worlds don't really talk to each other. Uh, there's like the scientific, you know, Western academic side of things, which is talk therapy and psychoanalysis and things like that. And then there's all these really beautiful, you know, body work modalities that are equally as valuable, but they don't have much of an overlap. And so I was really curious about that gray space um, where they do overlap. And so I, I was originally going to go down like the clinical therapy route and I was going to become a you know, clinician and a sex therapist and, and do all that sort of stuff. But as I started practicing, um, just felt really boxed in, you know, and felt really limited by what I could offer my clients and how I could work with them. Having had some experiences as a yoga teacher and a massage therapist and doing, you know, sacred sexuality workshops, 
I felt like all of that was not available to me. So I looked for a different modality, a different way that I could work with clients and sex coaching was the modality that's like fit the best. And, uh, you know, I'm really passionate about like male sexuality, men's experiences. Um, that's what I feel like I can speak into with some sort of authority and some sort of relevancy. Uh, and so that's what I, I felt to niche in, right. Is like really challenging societal stories around masculinity, what it means to be a man, what male sexuality should look like and things like that, all the stereotypes. Um, and so today, like all the stuff that I do is really the stuff that I wish someone had done with me 10, 15 years ago when I was going through that phase of my life. Um, it's really talking to a younger version of myself. Um, and there's a whole bunch more in there. That's uh, I, I won't ramble on too much, but like there was, I had a pretty poor relationship with alcohol. My mental health wasn't great. A lot of other stuff in there as well. But like that's kind of the crux of how I got to be doing what it is that I'm doing today. Wow! Thank you so much for sharing all of that. I I'm hearing you, and I'm like noticing not so much deja vu, but like yeah, I've heard this story before. You know, I've heard this story, and I've seen men experience so many similar experiences to what you've just shared and um and yeah like I'm curious about about your experience with your clients what are some of the main challenges and problems that you see within men yes I suppose like the the same thing that I was really concerned about when I was going through like this period of you know of my life but a lot of guys come to me with like I don't like to minimize them as like surface level issues, but they're, they're, they're function issues. So they come to me with like, um, they're worried about erectile dysfunction and whether they can get or maintain an erection. They're worried about premature ejaculation, whether they can, you know, ejaculate after a certain period of time. They're worried about like, uh, sex drive issues. Maybe they, they feel like they've got a low libido and that's causing some issues. So it's all like function oriented. It's like, how do I fix this particular problem? And that's all that, you know, this is a different conversation, but I feel like that's a wider issue that we have in the way that the West approaches sexuality is it's like dysfunction and we need to fix it. And it's like very mechanistic and broken. And we're treating people like machines that need to be tuned and fixed so that they operate or they function better. Um, that's definitely true for like male sexuality. It's like very performance oriented. Like we need to get things up to scratch again. Um, and I, I don't think that's a very good approach. Uh, so when I work with guys, even though they're coming to me with these, you know, concerns about like not lasting long enough or not being able to get and maintain an erection, usually when I scratch under the surface of those questions, there's um, issues of self-worth. Like I ask them, you know, okay, if you can't last as long as you want, what does that mean? And typically there's like a what means that sex is bad. I'm like, okay, okay. Well, if sex is bad, like, what does that mean? Well, if sex is bad, then it means I'm a bad lover. Okay. okay. If you're a bad lover, if you're bad at sex, what does that mean? It means well, I'm, you know, not worthy of sex or I'm not good enough to have sex. And I'm like, okay. What does that mean? So I'm a failure of a man and you know, I'm less than, and I'm not ma manly enough or I'm not enough or I'm not worth enough. And so there's all these, you know, deeper introspective questions that a lot of guys either don't interrogate in themselves or like have resistance to interrogating because they're like, oh, I'll just fix the surface level issue. I'll fix the function issue. Everything will be fine after that. And so I say to guys, I can help you with the function stuff. I can give you the strategies and the breathing exercises and the techniques to help you last longer, to help you get and maintain an erection. But your approach to sex is still going to be coming from, oh, I'm not enough. And so I need to do something in order to be enough. And when you approach sex like that, sex becomes this thing that, again, is performance oriented because you've got to perform at a certain level in order for it to be successful sex, in order to, for it to, to be, you know, um, achieving this thing that's going to help you feel enough as opposed to, well, let's shift that mindset and go, what if sex was for pleasure and for pleasure's sake? What if sex was for intimacy and connection and for just like being in the moment and being present with your partner or by yourself, you know, solo sex is just as valuable. And it was for the sake of pleasure as opposed to trying to get something from it as opposed to being goal oriented. And when you shift your perspective, and that's what I find with guys, when they shift their perspective to, okay, sex is for pleasure, not for performance, it doesn't fucking matter what the sex looks like. Because if the sex was pleasurable and enjoyable and mutually satisfying for everyone involved, then who cares? 
what it looked like. And, you know, it kind of harkens back to what I was sharing about my own experience was you kind of, in the most compassionate way possible, stop really giving a fuck and, you know, just enjoying the experience for what the experience is um, and focusing on, you know, where you derive pleasure. So that's like the work that I do with men specifically is like when they start to focus on pleasure and when they start to like get out of their head and that anxiety, their erections come back and they last longer because they're more relaxed you know um i can speak more specifically into like why that is but like that's typically what happens is when they get out of their head they get out of their own way they start focusing on just having an enjoyable experience all those function issues well i don't want to say it's a hard and fast rule because there's other medical reasons they might have those issues but for the most part if it's a psychological thing then changing that approach usually alleviates those function issues Wow, it's I'm I'm hearing you and I'm like reflecting back on on my own love life and men I've connected with who are connected to their bodies and have done work like this and and the difference between feeling a man and his presence in that space compared to the former version of 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 these men who and and, and what you've just explained of like being caught up in the head and having those psychological experiences and it's yeah, it's intimacy. Like that's that's the connection that I feel as a as a woman. Um, so yeah, I'd love to hear about like how you support them, how you support men. You were, yeah, you were about to go into it. What what does that look like? Yeah, so I guess like um, my my initial work that I do with men is bringing it back to the self. So it's like, what's your relationship with your own? experience of pleasure right and so typically that lends itself to a conversation around masturbation and self-pleasuring so I, I usually reframe with my clients i don't like i don't typically like the word masturbation it has a lot of baggage it's a lot of connotations um usually it conjures up images of sitting in front of a computer screen scrolling your favorite tube site and just going through the motions jerking off like a little chimpanzee and so i like to move away from that as you know i think language is really powerful so i like to move away from that as language that i use and i I reframe to self-pleasure because self-pleasure as the name suggests is really anything that you find pleasurable in that moment so it could include pornography it could include genital stimulation but it doesn't have to Uh, but masturbation typically is like very much um you know porn and and masturbation oriented so um so I, i work with men around like reframing their relationship with their body um because i talk to a lot of guys about the way that they self-pleasure the way that they masturbate and i very often get three different scenarios the first is what i've just described is like sitting in front of a computer screen hunched over jackhammer style you know just hammer and tongs going at it um the other one is um very similar it's like sitting on a couch or lying in bed uh with a phone in one hand like swiping on a phone maybe on instagram or tiktok or whatever going through social media and you know still going through the motions just masturbating away. Uh, and the other, um, so this is the third one, uh, is very common, is like in the shower. So it's like before work, after work, they've got a couple minutes, they're just in the shower, they just you know knock one out as quickly as possible. Here in Australia, if you're having a shower for too long, maybe the water corporation will knock down your door. But like, you, you know, it's, it's done in secret and it's done quickly. Um, and all those three, you know, um, scenarios, I suppose, the, the emphasis is on like, like, getting something done, like getting an erection, getting an ejaculation, focusing solely on the genitals as well. So it's like hyper fixated on the cock, on the head of the cock typically as well, that up and down motion. Um, and usually done relatively quickly as well. And in in, uh, in secret as well. A lot of guys will not be open with their partners if they masturbate about their masturbation habits. And if they're single, then it, typically it's done in like in hiding as well. So this creates like a context of um shame for the most part but also like it's conditioning them to experience pleasure in a certain way it's conditioning them to like I, i'll say this as crudely as as possible for for the men that are listening but the way that you wank is the way that you fuck and so if you're masturbating like going straight for your genitals straight for like up and down stroking focusing on the porn that's in front of you, you're going to apply that same conditioning to the sex that you have. You're going to go straight for penetration. You're going to go straight for hard and fast pumping. And you're going to outsource your experience of arousal to the person that's in front of you. It's going to be very heady. And you're going to be focused on like, 
you know, what do they look like? What are they doing? Like, are they, you know, experiencing pleasure? Oh God, they're not looking like they're enjoying themselves. Oh shit, I'm doing something wrong. It's going to be very much like vicarious pleasure through your partner, not um, firsthand pleasure through what it is that you're specifically experiencing. So I get guys to like think of masturbation as, it's not the perfect analogy because I, I, and I'll explain why, but I get guys to think of masturbation as training for the big game, which is um, sex with a partner. And I don't like that analogy firstly, because I think masturbation and self-pleasure is just as important as sex with a partner. But for the purposes of working with guys, typically that analogy lands is like the stuff that you're doing when you're by yourself is the stuff that then will help you have sex with a partner in a more, you know, in a way that's more conducive for mutual pleasure. So having said all that, I suggest to guys to explore their body. Like it's the first thing that I say to them is like, okay, let's talk about the way that you masturbate. Oftentimes, like I said, it's very localized on their cock. Uh, Maybe they play with their balls a little bit. I don't fucking know. But for the most part, it's like, here's an invitation. Here's a permission piece. You're fine. There's nothing weird about you if you do this. You're not gay if you do this. You're not broken if you explore pleasure in other parts of your body. You know, I say to them, you aren't just your dick. You're one big dick. You're You're a huge dick. And you can explore pleasure from the tips of your toes to the top of your head. So I kind of give them that permission piece to go, you're okay to explore pleasure around your body. Um, and you know maybe that extends to prostate stimulation and anal play as well. There's a bunch of other stuff that, that comes up when I do that with guys. Um, but there's that, that first invitation is to like expand outwards from the genitals um, and recognize your whole body as being capable of experiencing pleasure because then that extends to, to partnered sex and, um, and so on and so forth. But yeah, that's my, my approach, I suppose. And, and I won't ramble anymore. I love the ramble. I love everything that you're sharing. It's so potent and I'm, I'm resonating with a lot of what you're sharing because yeah, I mean, I've had these conversations with men before and I understand that shame and how that how much power shame has over us. And I've been with with men who have had shame around self-pleasuring or masturbating and like, you know, not knowing what to do with this extra energy where I'm not able to meet them in that. And, and you know, a lot of other women probably relate to this, women and people who are in heterosexual relationships particularly. Um, so, yeah, I'd, I'd love to know, like, for women who are listening like what advice would you give them if they're on the receiving end um or in a relationship with a man who is experiencing those three things that you you mentioned earlier or any any kind of like um disconnect yeah yeah so i um you know something that i i think is important is before you do something sexually with a person, you should feel comfortable enough to talk with them about that thing. There's too many people going into sexual situations, doing sexual things with a person that they don't feel comfortable even talking about. And that's the opposite of what we should be doing. So, you know, before I give any suggestions for like what you can do sexually with someone, like just dial that back to, you should be having conversations with your partner about sex. And whether that's a partner who you're in a long-term relationship with, or whether it's someone that you're meeting on the first date, there are ways that you can have conversations about sex in a non-creepy, non-judgmental, really open and vulnerable way, you know, the first time that you meet someone. And that's my, so that's my encouragement is to like, firstly, initiate conversations. Now, some practical ways to have a conversation with men, and this is a sweeping generalization, so I apologize for this. Um, But something that I've noticed is, um, firstly, go and do something physical with him to have a conversation. So like, go for a walk with him, go, uh, hiking with him, go on a drive with him. You typically, if you're moving the body, it's a little bit easier, but like do something physical and have the conversation at the same time that you're doing something physical together as a couple or as, um, as a partnership. The reason why I suggest that is because it's very helpful and it's very subtle at getting him out of his head and into his body. Um, if you're sitting down at a table, right. And the dreaded, we need to, we need to talk and sitting down and, you know, at a kitchen table where you're facing one another in like this interrogation scenario can, can be very intimidating and can, can shut a lot of guys down. And again, this is a sweeping generalization, but having that opportunity to like move the body and, um, and talk whilst moving the body is, is, um, usually quite effective at helping him feel a bit more relaxed and, and able to be a bit more vulnerable. Um, Another suggestion, this is kind of tied into that, is like have conversations about sex in non-sexual situations. So 
a terrible time to have like a big conversation about sex is right before you're about to have sex. Those conversations about sex need to happen at what it doesn't, I don't want to prescriptive here, but I think should happen in non-sexual situations where there's low pressure and it's low stakes. Oftentimes when we have conversations, you know, big conversations about sex right before we're about to have sex, we can get in our heads of being like, oh God, now our partner wants to do this thing. And now, oh, now I've got to, oh, all the things we've just talked about now, I've got to implement straight away. And it, and it can become quite a high pressure, high stakes situation. And plus, if there's like eroticism flying around and there's arousal buildup, we tend to not think as clearly when we're in a state of arousal or, you know, this erotically altered consciousness. So like being in a sober situation, you know, um, in a non-sexual situation is a little bit more conducive for having conversations about sex. And another strategy here is break up that conversation. So oftentimes there's a lot of like overlap when it comes to conversations about sex with our partner. Like, you know, they're, they're having an erection issue and they're watching porn and like there's, and the sex isn't great and you know, it's causing some tension. There's like four separate issues there. So being able to like just pick those apart and be like, hey, I, let's have a conversation about porn or let's have a conversation about uh, erections. Like let's just focus on that specific thing without adding in all this other stuff because that can get overwhelming and convoluted and it can feel like the you know the whole world is caving in on you if, if there's all this stuff that's a problem. Um, so kind of isolating those things and having smaller conversations can be helpful instead of having one big conversation. Um, so these are all these are all communication strategies, I suppose. Now if you're if you've got a guy, um, you know, you're in a relationship with a guy and it's, you know, getting hot and heavy and and you know he's starting to focus on going straight for penetration and he's not paying attention to your uh, needs in terms of, you know, sexual arousal and build up. One of the simplest things that I suggest women do or people that have sex with men do is put a hand on his chest and put a hand on his cock and say, Hey, slow down. And that oftentimes guys get into this like uh, goal oriented mindset when it comes to sex. And it's like, okay, and I've got to do the next thing and I've got to do the next thing. And now we're going for penetration. Now we're going for thrusting. Now we're going for ejaculation. It's just like, next step, next step, next step. And it's very linear. But if you're able to like, just go, hey, pop the brakes. Let's slow down, take a breath. And you know, kind of interject in that that really linear thought process it can be helpful for kind of going, you know, kind of shaking him out of it and being like, oh, okay. Like, all right, I'll take a moment here. Like, and, and I recognize that it's a lot easier said than done to like ask for what you want. Um, there's, a, there's a bunch of reasons why. Um, and some really you know, beautiful reflective questions can be like, why don't we ask for what we want? What do we do instead? It comes from a, a sex educator by the name of Maria Bozinski. Um, but like having like a conversation about those things to begin with, but then like creating an opportunity to, to um, be a bit vulnerable and to ask him like, hey, what do you, what do you like? What are you into? What turns you on? And also what his boundaries are like, hey, what, what's a boundary for you? Oftentimes I, you know, will ask that to guys and they'll say, well, I don't really have any boundaries. Like I'm, I just love sex. I'm into, into everything. And I'm like, all right, well, I'm going to tell your girlfriend to peg you. And they're like, no, 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 no. That's a boundary for me. I'm like, okay, so you do have boundaries. And it's like, now, you know, we've established the fact that you do have boundaries. Let's speak a bit more about that. So like having the, the, um, how do I say this? Like the kind of like being a little bit intense, like and probing a little bit harder and then be like, okay, let's you know, throw an extreme out there and then they go, whoa, no, okay, that's too much. And they're like, all right, well, we know that's too much. Let's try and find where there is a more, you know, subtle boundary or where there is a more subtle experience to be had. So um, a lot of it's communication, it's such a cliche, but communication is key, you know, especially when it comes to, to sex and sexuality. But it's like having the vulnerability and the courage to be able to have those conversations is where the work is, right? Like to, to initiate a conversation is, is tough. So Here's another little strategy. I'm just, you know, coming up with them on the fly is um, utilize a, a game. So I like to share with my clients the yes, no, maybe so activity, which is just like a PDF list of all these different sexual activities. You can sit down with your partner over a glass of wine or over a cup of tea and just go through this list of activities together and indicate, are you a yes to this activity? Are you a no? Or are you a maybe if the context is right, I could be into that. And then you just match up 
oh, I'm a yes to this. My partner's a yes to this. Whoa, this is something we haven't done before. Now we've got this thing that we both have said that we're a yes to. Maybe we can try that the next time that we're being sexual. And the beauty of one of those games is there might be something that you are into, like a fantasy or a desire that you have, which you haven't had the courage or you haven't had the opportunity to speak to your partner about. Maybe you feel really insecure about it. But if that thing that you're into, maybe it's group sex, right? If group sex is on that list and you get to it and you're like, oh, I'm a yes to this. And your partner goes, oh, I'm a yes to this as well. And you go, well, okay. I didn't have to initiate that conversation. I didn't have to be as vulnerable to start this conversation of being like, hey, I like group sex. Do you want to try that with me? Which is a fucking scary thing to say to your partner. It's just on the game. And so the game has kind of like taken the burden of that initiation of conversation. And there's heaps of other things out there. There's like, you know, would you rather card games? There's, you know, dice games. There's heaps of them. I, I love them because I think they're really great for couples for initiating conversations. Uh, but that can be another strategy as well. And before I start ranting for the rest of the afternoon, I'll stop there. I love that. I love everything that you're sharing. It's so insightful and so empowering as well and supportive. Um, yeah, okay. So, so much to work with there, so much to work with um, <laughs> and so much solid advice, really, really supportive to a healthy relationship. Um a question I have for you is something that I think you've kind of answered, but it's specific around like if you could give somebody who has a partner who's experiencing premature ejaculation and isn't able to experience erection, what advice would you give this partner? I feel like you've answered it, but like. Okay, yeah. I can give some more specific context, specific, yeah. context specific questions or yeah. answers. Um, so my uh, my go-to for like this uh, as a couple is, um, what's well, two, I suppose. The first is like a reframe psychologically and the other one is a practical thing that you can do. So the reframe here psychologically is for a lot of couples, sex is, and I'll use the term here, phallocentric. And what I mean by that is sex is dependent upon what the penis does or does not do. Right, So if there is no erection, then sex cannot happen. If an ejaculation happens, sex is finished. Right, See how both of those things, sex revolves around what a penis is doing. And you know, that shouldn't be the case. Right, Sex doesn't, and I would argue, argue, shouldn't be phallocentric. It shouldn't revolve around whether the penis is hard or not, or whether the penis has ejaculated or not. It should be about um, you know, what feels pleasurable. Right, So again, that phallocentric way of approaching sex is a very performance oriented way of, of, of approaching sex. So, um, so there's a reframe there of like, you know, and a strategy here is, is, you know, maybe, uh, set aside time to be sexual with your partner that doesn't involve a penis, right? So that could be by, you know, uh, could be like a sexy massage and just enjoying each other's like sensuality and sexuality through mutual touch of the body and not including the genitals at all. It could be, um, it could be uh, him maybe performing oral sex or using a toy or, you know, using his fingers. Uh, it could be like, you know, sex that doesn't involve penetration. So it could be some like oral sex, mutual oral sex on one another, stuff that doesn't involve penetration, you know, penis and vagina penetration or ejaculation as well. So another suggestion that I have is like set aside a time to be sexual with one another that doesn't include an ejaculation. So take ejaculation off the table, take penetration off the table and kind of ask yourself what else is there a lot of couples here's an analogy have like an erotic menu right so when you're hungry you choose from a menu a meal that you want to eat well when we're horny we choose from our erotic menu a quote-unquote meal that we want to eat and as couples for a lot of couples there's only one meal on their erotic menu and that's penis and vagina sex right it's intercourse so adding more dishes, adding more meals to this erotic menu can be a really fun and um, exploratory process to do. And, and the way that you do that is by going, okay, we're going to take penetration off the table. We're going to take ejaculation off the table, really mindfully, consciously making that decision together and then kind of force yourselves to go, what else can we do? How else can we meet our sexual needs? What else is on there? Um, because the, the problem with having only one meal on your erotic menu is what if your partner's not in the mood for that meal? Or what if you're really, really hungry and your partner's not so hungry? 
you know, if you've only got one meal, and it could be a great meal, don't get me wrong, it could be your favorite meal, and, uh, and it could be something that you really look forward to, but if it's the only meal that you have, it's gonna, it's gonna you know, throw up problems. Uh, and it also gets dull pretty quickly. It's like eating the same thing for every single time that you're hungry for the rest of your life. Sure, you can go for it for a couple of months, but you know, after a while, it gets a little bit dull. Um, so that, that, that's some strategies. Now, in the moment, if your partner experiences premature ejaculation, and again, that's a very clinical term, if they just come before you guys are ready, or if he loses an erection or struggles to get an erection, um, something that you can do is, um, well, let's use uh, coming quite quickly, is take a moment to go, it's fine. Sex doesn't have to finish. Like, I'm still here. I'm not going anywhere. Like, we can still be pleasurable and sexual with one another. You've got fingers. You've got a tongue. Maybe you've got toys. I mean, hell, you've got feet. You've got the rest of your body to use. Like, let's keep on, let's keep on going. Um, and so he might need a bit of time to recuperate and, and, you know, kind of settle into that refractory period. But after maybe 10, 15 minutes, that's a typical time for a refractory period, he's probably going to be good to go for round two. And usually round two lasts a little bit longer as well. So um, it's a way of like exploring, um, you know, sex after an ejaculation because ejaculation, like I said, doesn't have to end a sexual experience. Same thing with, um, you know, so there's a similar advice to if he maybe struggles to get an erection or if he loses an erection kind of midway, midway through is to go, hey, not a big deal. Like I'm still here. I can still experience pleasure. Guess what? You with a flaccid penis can still experience pleasure. An erection isn't predicated upon experiencing pleasure. You know, the flaccid penis has the same amount of nerve endings in it as an erect penis does. So it doesn't, you know, diminish in the amount of pleasure it can experience. So like, nor like not normalizing it, but like going, hey, it's not a big deal. Like let's ha let's just keep having fun. And usually, especially if there's an erection issue, that invitation to go, okay, I'm just going to focus on pleasure instead and just take my time and just enjoy myself. The erection typically comes back um again if there's not an underlying medical issue if it's like a he's getting in his head and he's anxious then you know alleviating that alleviating sorry that anxiety by focusing on pleasure and you know a strategy that i give to guys if they're experiencing erection issues like that is focus on the sensations in your hands so as a you know as his partner you might encourage him to just be like hey just touch me like notice what you feel like notice what sensations arise in you when you know, you touch this part of my body or like what pleasure do you feel in your body? Like where are you experiencing that pleasure? Because that focus on pleasure and the, you know, slowing down and the breathing and getting him out of his head and into his body usually will help that erection come back and you can keep going with whatever you wanted to do with that erection. So some practical things and then also some psychological things there that I wanted to share. That's amazing. Thank you. Um, as you were sharing, I was thinking about men who have identified with a persona that they it's a bit of an ego you know the the ego that's like oh yeah I know how to I know how to fuck a woman I know how to pleasure her and so there's this um limited availability to feedback or limited availability to following direction and it comes from a lot of what you've shared you know the shame and maybe a bruised ego or not willing not willing to, like, I feel like it's really hard sometimes as a woman to express needs to a man. Um, so, you know, what can men do to better understand a woman's body and create that synergy in the bedroom? And how can women communicate their needs in a way that's going to be received by a man? Yeah, if I'm being like, if I've had a long day and I am not being compassionate, I will say to women, you don't need to, coddle his ego and communicate in a way that's going to make him, you know, feel comfortable and, and make his ego not get bruised. Just tell him straight up his shit in bed. Now, of course, if you're trying to be a bit more compassionate and if I'm trying to be a bit more compassionate, then you might want to consider like, okay, um, what's a way that I can say this, you know, in a positive way that's not going to make him feel like shit. Um, and I should say the reason why I say, you know, just tell him he's bad in bed is because I've had guys that have come to me to do work and have said the catalyst that helped them step into this work and sexuality was a woman being blunt with him and saying, that was terrible. You need to get better at sex. 
And he was like, holy shit, that was the slap in the face that I needed to actually do some work on this. So I don't say that just, you know, throwing it out there. The, the reason why is because I have had clients say that to me. Um, and so it is a strategy, right? Uh, but if you're being a bit more compassionate and you want to be a bit more softer and gentler with your partner, one of the ways I you know, encourage you to communicate your desires. And again, there's so many reasons why it's difficult. And one of them, for example, is as you've identified that ego, we know we've studied this, that women find it more difficult or will hold back information when they have a partner whose masculinity is what's called precarious. That's like in the, the term that we use in the study. And, um, and precariousness is like insecurity, essentially. So guys who have insecure masculinity and whose egos are really tied into their sexual performance, when they receive negative feedback, typically react not great. And so a lot of women will not share feedback because they know their partner is going to either take it personally, might get angry, possibly violent, who knows, but there's like there's a lot of reasons why women don't share feedback with guys who whose egos are really attached to their sexual performance. Now, ego shouldn't be involved in sex in general, but you know, I recognize that for a lot of guys it is. So, all this is to get to this point where I'm saying um, one of the suggestions I have is keep things positively framed. So what I mean by this is like, um, instead of saying you're shit at bed, uh, you're shit in bed and we need to do something about this, framing it more so like, hey, I really like sex. I really like being sexual with you. I'm attracted to you and I would love for us to explore more together. I'd love for us to do more together. So that is saying the same thing, right? But it's lands a lot differently. And then the next thing is keep it pleasure focused as well. So positively framed and pleasure focused. So, you know, instead of saying, I don't like this, 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 and this, all this, all this stuff that is painful and uncomfortable, like that needs to be communicated. If you're experiencing pain, definitely communicate that. But if it's just like, this is not really doing much for me. One of the suggestions is, okay, what does do it for you? And can you share that with him? Because a lot of guys, again, you can leverage that ego mentality that they have. They, they kind of want you to be enjoying yourself. Like a lot of guys are concerned about their partner enjoying themselves, but because of the really shitty dynamic that we have as heterosexual couples um, and no one really talking to one another and guys not eliciting feedback and things like that, uh, oftentimes what they think their partner is enjoying, she isn't actually enjoying and maybe she's pretending and women aren't speaking up. And so guys are going, oh, she must be enjoying it because she's not saying anything. And it just perpetuates this really crappy spiral of terrible sex. Um, so like, if you can say, you know, hey, instead of trying this, like something I really like is when we do this, like that's something I really enjoy when you do. So kind of like f focusing on the pleasure as opposed to the the stuff that isn't isn't working. So, and again, uh, yeah, like if I'm if I'm being less than compassionate, you don't necessarily need to do that. But I understand if you're in a relationship with a partner, and um, you know, and you you don't want it to blow up into something else, then it can be helpful to you know keep it positive and to keep it pleasure focused as well. Awesome. So what I'm hearing is communication is key. <laughs> Again, always. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> This is communication piece. It's so, so, so important. Um, and that's what creates deeper intimacy as well, you know, being able to connect in that vulnerable space. I I love sexuality and I love the healing that can take place because there's so many parallels in personal development, you know, being able to communicate your boundaries in a healthy way in the bedroom that translates outside the bedroom, being able to express your desires, being able to claim your desires and just so much metamorphosis and transformation and um, expansion that can be, and healing, healing, you know. I think Marvin Gaye, was that the, the singer? He was onto something, you know, like sexual healing is a thing. Um, and I really love that you have dedicated your life's work to this and I, I imagine that you're, it's forever evolving. So for men who are listening and um, or people who are listening, what offerings do you have available at the moment? Or how can people get in touch with you? Yeah, I appreciate you allowing me to speak into this and spruiking my work a little bit. Um, so my, uh, like, if people want to reach out to me, they can find me through social media. So I'm the Cam Fraser on all social media platforms. Uh, and I try and be as educational as possible on social media. So 
my little guarantee is that if you follow me on social media or if you just jump on my page that you will learn something new. That's my um, intention with social media is to educate. Uh, but if people are interested in doing some work with me, um, I do have a course for men specifically. Um, it's kind of geared more towards heterosexual men, but I do have, you know, have had some gay men go through the course and get a lot of value from it. And that's called Outperform a Porn Star. And now the course name is very tongue in cheek um, because uh, I start the course from the premise of the sex that you see in porn is not very good sex. And so I share actually a lot of interviews with porn performers, both male and female, where they say how shit the sex that they're having on screen feels for them and how like disassociated they are, how much they're like just going through the motions, how much it's not enjoyable and how much it's just a job and they're just, you know, it's just a thing that they're doing. Um, the, but unfortunately, because of the lack of sex education and the lack of like, you know, exploration that's being encouraged around sexuality, particularly for guys, a lot of men epitomize porn sex. And so they think that that's what sex should look like. And that's what good sex is supposed to be like. And, and so I kind of challenge that by saying, well, look, you know, all these people that are having sex on screen that you idolize actually aren't enjoying themselves. Uh, it's actually not good sex that they're having. And so try to kind of break that, um, that spell that kind of porn sex has on guys. Uh, and then kind of from there saying, look, if you could have really deeply intimate, connected, vulnerable, mutually pleasurable, multi-orgasmic sex with either yourself or with another person, you'd be outperforming any porn star because you're actually having good sex. You're actually having enjoyable, pleasurable sex. And so the the crux of the course is to go from like this pleasure-oriented mindset, which a lot of guys are really stuck in, to a pleasure-oriented mindset. And so we do that through shifting stories and, you know, um, I, I'm big on like porn literacy and things like this, but like just psychological work. And then also there's a lot of practical stuff in there around like cultivating a self-pleasure practice as opposed to just going through the motions and masturbating all the time um, or not all the time, but, you know, just masturbating. Um, but then there's stuff in there around like, you know, taking ejaculation off the table. And when that goal is taken away, like what else do you do with your sexuality? Um, how else do you approach sex? Uh, there's stuff in there around like partner practices. You know, like I said, it's tailored more towards heterosexual men. So it's like, you know, tapping into uh, your partner's cycle. If they're menstruating, um, you know, there's stuff around uh, prostate stimulation and prostate play in there. If that's what guys are interested in exploring, I talk about toys and, and things like that. So, um, yeah, so it's a six week course and I'm, I'm, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm quite proud of the, the content that's in there. It's pretty comprehensive. So, uh, if men are listening, they, they want to, um, you know, do some work on the sexuality. I, I highly recommend that. I have a, I have a women's course, which is called man myths, understanding male sexuality, which is like a course for women about their male partners. So, you know, a lot of women ask me questions about like, what does it mean if a man does this? What does it mean if my guy is losing his erection? What does it mean if he's coming so quickly? Like, you know, there's this idea, for example, that uh, if a guy doesn't have an erection, it means he's not turned on. When oftentimes that is not the case. Oftentimes a guy is very turned on, but he has a disconnect between his heart or his head and his cock. And, um, and this is called arousal non-concordance. But like, you know, a lot of women take that quite personally if he's not erect, for example. Um, so a lot of women will feel like, oh, he's not attracted to me or I'm not, I'm not attractive enough. Um, so self-worth stuff can come up there. Again, tying the whole experience of sex into what the penis does or does not do. Uh, and then stuff around, you know, ejaculation and things like that as well. So it's all about like, you know, debunking, I guess, all these myths about like male sexuality and like helping women understand their male partners better. Um, those are my two main courses. Uh, and yeah, if people wanna reach out and ask me questions about those, I'm more than happy to field questions. Amazing, yeah, I'll include all of the uh, contacts in the bio. So for those of you who are listening and wanting to um, connect with Cam, we, yeah, all the information will be in the bio. I love what you offer and I think it's so important and so necessary because you know, we don't get educated on this at school. We don't get educated on this anywhere other than pornography. And as you just said, like, it's, it's so far from the truth, this performance-orientated way of having sexual intimacy. And you know what? Like, in my experience, through my evolution around this, and I'm sure you've probably, you can probably relate, like, 
you know, we don't know what we don't know. So we're only aware of like the pleasure that we have experienced thus far, but there's this euphoric state of being, this euphoric state of ecstasy that can be experienced when we connect deeply without that climatic goal orientated. It's just like the whole experience of sex becomes so deeply pleasurable in a full body, full bodied experience. It's, it's like, and then the connection that we can experience with our partners and, and with people from that space is in, unrecognizable from anything or undeniable, really. Mm. Yeah. I think you said before, sex is healing. And I, I like to say that pleasure is a healing modality. Like there's so much yeah. personal growth and so much um, just like vulnerability and introspection that can be had from exploring your pleasure. Mm. And I find like, men in particular have a big aversion to pleasure like it's it, there's like especially like if they're listening to kind of you know alpha bro podcasters and like hustle mindset gurus like taking time to explore your pleasure is like demonized and it's seen as like effeminate and like unnecessary and uh, and so a lot of guys have resistance to taking time to just explore pleasure and when they you know, have that resistance to it themselves, then that applies to their experience of sex with a partner as well. And so sex isn't pleasurable for them and isn't pleasurable for their partner because there is this aversion to pleasure in general. Uh, so, you know, I'm a big believer in if I can shift that mindset for men, then that's going to shift the way that they interact and relate to the women in their lives or the people in their lives, the people they're having sex with relationships will be better you know community will be better and we'll see like a, a beautiful shift in society at large but that's my my um you know grandiose thinking i guess i'm so here for it because <laughs> <laughs> i have very similar visions it's a ripple effect you know the relationship we have with ourselves being the change that we want to see then becomes it has a cascading effect so mm. yeah thank you so much for joining me and i really appreciate your time and i'm sure we'll have conversations down the track um but yeah i just really value what you're doing i really value the work that you're putting out there and i appreciate you devoting your life to this and supporting men out there and women in in cultivating healthy sexuality so thank you no thank you so much and thanks for using your platform to you know help me you know get my message out there i really appreciate it my absolute pleasure thanks guys i will catch you in the next episode